Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. It is September the 27th. We're picking up where we left off on Friday. And the topic is how to think big in a world that wants to keep you ever so small. And today is part two. We're going to be going over points four, five, and six. Uh, The last point um, that we shared with you on Friday was talking about the importance of being media-free. Media-free is one of the most powerful ways for you to get control of your mindset, for you to essentially defrag your thinking And essentially, then, the third essential, (laughs) to hone yourself in on what your goals are, which is the whole point of what we're helping you, hopefully helping you to accomplish on this series that we're doing. But really go back and listen to Friday's podcast where it is talking to you, where I'm hopefully helping you understand the importance of completely and totally going media free. Now, I did get a lot of interesting comments after that. People who had gone media free in the past, gone back into media, uh, you know, essentially consuming it, and then took me up on my challenge from Friday and then decided to go media free again and were relating to me the experiences of going through withdrawal from not actually having consumed any media over the weekend. That was the challenge of the homework from Friday's podcast was to be completely media free for the sake of the weekend. And and if just the very thought of being media free, by media free, what am I talking about, Julie? Well, that's not watching the news, not listening to, well, I, I can't even barely call it the news, right? No. So media means a lot of things. It's thing I would put it in the category of stuff maybe you don't even really mean to be listening any, to. Any any anything that's entering into your mind that basically is considered framed up as news. That's media. In some cases that's podcasting. It's definitely YouTube. It's definitely going to be all social networks. Any newspapers, any magazines, radio because, shows. Right. So here's what's happened and I know some of you have a little bit of a um, you take it as a, an affront that we're suggesting that you defrag from media. And if you're our age, plus or minus five years, it actually feels unnatural to not be paying attention to the news, almost like you feel like an, ab- an obligation to watch the news. It makes you feel disconnected somehow. Right. And Julie and I understand we grew up in the era where every night we'd stand, you know, we'd all sit around as a family and uh, watch Wal- Walter Cronkite. I mean, <laughs> some of you guys. Yeah, but you know, that was back when they were saying what happened. This is what happened today. So here's the difference to Julie's point is nowadays media news is trying to compete with salacious crap from the internet. And what the media does is it pays attention to what you click on. So if the media, even your, you know, your stoward channels, your, the ones you grew up with, like Julie and I, uh, they will pay attention to what you are paying attention to, and they will give you more of that. And people like salacious stuff. They like, you know, hype. They like, you know, all the things. Drama. Drama. All, Things that are de- decisive, things that are divisive. Well, it's turned into opinion and, quote, entertainment. Yeah, that's what media is. So before you reject the idea of being media-free, realize that the news that we grow up on is no longer a trusted source of information. It just isn't. And that's the reason that podcasting, frankly, has become so uh, prevalent. That's the reason that other things, but you got to be careful. Again, nice see, the nice thing about podcasting is that there aren't a lot of algorithms that are trying to pick and choose what podcast you're going to listen you're to. You're still in control. Right. You're still in control. Exactly. Whereas if you go to YouTube, 
and you watch a video on you know funny cat stories and you watch a video on uh, drag racing and you watch a video on how to make you know pumpkin pies then have you noticed that every time you go to YouTube you're getting more of what it thinks you want so there's this little AI algorithm that's just feeding you more of the same thing that you want same and now with... you have to watch drag racing kittens who want to make pie exactly <laughs> right it's a whole genre in case you didn't know it and that and so you're gonna get be getting more and more of that to the point where you think everybody has drag racing kittens making pie so that's the problem with these algorithms. That's the problem with all the social networking stuff is it just gives you more of the same crap. So and, and the mainstream media has followed essentially using their own algorithms to give you the same type of crap. They'll track to what you're reading online. They'll see how many views or literally how many people are watching at different news stations. That's, you know, look at CNN, for example, or Fox or any of these other channels. They're bloviating. They're giving opinions. They're telling you, they're, they're speaking to what is becoming um, a real problem in the United States, which is we're becoming tribal and it's all because, and then what do you do? You believe a certain way. Everyone watches the same channels. You hear this sometimes on podcasting, especially podcasters that are on either ones of the coast. They are out of touch with the uh, belief that everyone thinks the way they think because everyone in their world does think the way they think, does watch the things, same things that they watch. They're not, they don't have open minds for uh, opinions that aren't already like there. So the world gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and they think more and more myopically. The point being is the freedom that you'll feel when you unplug from all forms of media will be perhaps one of the best mental health exercises that you'll ever do in your life. It does, because you, you, again, it's just a funny exercise though. Imagine today you are going to go media free for the whole week. How many of you just with the very thought of that are starting to look for hacks? Does that include my phone, Tim? Does, does that include, <laughs> what can I have? Does that include reading my news feed on my Facebook? All forms of media. You can use your email. Except our podcast. You can check your voicemail on Julie and I's podcast, right? Every other form of media completely purged from your life for a week. How many of you are saying not just no, but hell no? How many of you are actually starting to feel anxious? Just the very thought of not hearing the latest breaking news, right? That's because you're addicted to it. And how are you ever, and all those thoughts that you have and all that addiction, it's all designed around getting you to feel a certain way emotionally. And I have a question for you. Is that a feeling a positive way or a negative way? It's obviously negative. And so if the answer is negative, then how are you ever going to actually set big goals and let alone achieve them if you're totally and completely awash and in, in, in saturating your brain with negative inputs? Because it all goes down to the same prevalent or, you know, overarching thought here. If you don't, at your very core, believe tomorrow is going to be better than today, you will never do today the things that will make tomorrow better. Matter of fact, you'll do things today that will reinforce tomorrow being worse. And that's what the media is all about. And it's only all about that way because that's what you're clicking on. So if you want to change it, stop clicking on the garbage. If you want to change it, start using like a a proxy when you log into YouTube so it doesn't know what you watched in the back. Like you have to opt out of it so we can then start teaching these systems that are feeding us of all this, you know, re recurring, uh, I, you know, anti-success crap, basically yeah. anti-goal setting crap. We have to opt out of it. And then if we do decide to use it, you decide what you're going to feed it. In other words, find a story that's not salacious. Like I, I tell you what I, I came across actually. Mm -hmm. Um, there, they have discovered footsteps, and I forget where, so don't ask me, footprints from a human okay. that are so old that uh -huh. they're completely blowing away the um, essentially historical assumptions 
about the ascent of man, right? Yeah. They're completely blowing away how old humans and how long humans have been on the planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, that story was in the New York Times, which normally we do not read, right. but I saw that story and I read it, and it was actual journalisming. Yeah, right. there you go. It was fantastic. Now, I, I don't remember where I came across that, but I imagine that whatever the search algorithm is that saw that I actually read something that was somewhat intellectual is going to be completely screwed up because normally I like to uh, read about... <laughs> Car uh, stuff. No, well... Right. Cats making pumpkin pies, drag racing. Right. I mean, that is my niche. I know. You know, a friend of mine from high school knows what you're, exactly what you're talking about. And he's been experimenting on how screwed up he can make the feeds. <laughs> and so he'll have something really random, like some kind of alien thing. And then he'll have something like super amiable, like fuzzy little kitten babies or something. And then he'll occasionally report back, like, you're not going to believe what my news feed gave me. Because he's on purpose screwing with it. He even does it politically. He'll he'll click on something from one side, then he'll click on something from the other side just to see how confused. It's like a game. It's just a well, pastime. Well, if you ever go to Google News, because I've done that before, Google News feeds you the news that it wants you to have. That's right. But not even based on previous clicks. Yeah. So Google News is very, uh, you know, it it's very biased. It is. It's incredible. It anyway, opt But out. anyway, when, here's something <laughs> I've noticed. Well, you know, because I, like, I'll read stuff from Nautilus or Smithsonian, you know, like little things I'm interested in, you know. But what I've noticed by breaking up with the regular, quote, regular media, is you have so much more time to listen to what you want to listen to, to do what you want to do, to follow your own goals, and to put more time into what you actually care about versus what you're being programmed to care about. Well, so when you go through the process of becoming media-free, on the other side of that, after you go through the feelings of withdrawal, the actual physical and psychological pain some of you will experience, at the other side of that, your very interaction with other humans is going to be completely different. You will remember how you used to think because it wasn't so much in the distant past, but your very interactions with someone who normally would not have been somebody you would have conversed with because you identified them as being the other, right? Because you were so awash with all this, you know, the us versus them type thinking the media fills you with that you, you're going to interact with this person in a new way and you're going to realize, hey, they're yeah. just like me. Maybe they think differently about a couple things, but who cares? I can be a service to them. I can help them. I can be friends with them. Yeah, you can learn something and, from them. And there's other two things, too. You feel less stressed. Yes, a lot less stressed. The things that you think about are not things lingering from today's news feed. Like, you know? so this is a fun just thought, right? Yeah. And I, this isn't the, we're going to go over your next points, but how many of you believe 100% agents are naturally optimists? So I'm talking That's to true. a, I'm talking to a, a, mm -hmm. a, you know, our people here. But how many of you actually believe that tomorrow and next year is going to be better than today and uh, this year? How many of you actually believe 100% that tomorrow is going to be. Now, I know you're being told that this is going to happen. There's going to be a, all these bad things happen, and this is the other things in politics and the economy and interest rates and inflation. And But how many of you actually, despite all of those negative inputs, are believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today? Now, and, and next year's will be better than uh, 2021. Now, with that thought, how many of you are actually taking steps mm -hmm. to make it for sure so that next year, you know, tomorrow and next year are going to be better than today. How many of you are actually doing something about it? And if you're, if you are innately an optimist, which is true with most of you, otherwise you wouldn't have been crazy enough to get into real estate. Then one of the first things you can do to supercharge that optimism is not only create a plan, but also opt out of media. That's right. So speaking of plans, I think I would add a question, which is how many of you believe that it is within your power to make next year better than this year or next quarter better than this? 
So we did points, no, you did points number one through three. On Friday, we're going to start on number four. When starting your goal setting, because this is new for a lot of people, stick to a shorter term goal, 30 to 90 days, no more than that. Break your goals down to monthly, weekly, and then daily. So for example, I like to start with something not real estate so that we can work them into real estate, just as easier to swallow sometimes. So for example, let's say that you have a physical goal of losing 15 pounds over 90 days say by the new year, that's five pounds per month, about four and a quarter per week. Well, that's a lot easier to concentrate on and achieve than thinking, well, I got 90 days to lose 15 pounds, right? How many people are going to do anything about it today if they know they've got 90 days? So a goal is a dream with an action plan, which mm -hmm. we talk about in our best-selling book, Harris Rules, which right. is available everywhere, Barnes and Noble and whatnot. And by the way, it is a perfect Christmas gift. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. And it is not too soon to talk about Christmas nope. or it's Christmas season because we're 90 days away, which is kind of crazy to think it's about. It's very crazy. But the reality of it is, is that start with a, 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 now some of you would say, using Julie's great example, and this is what most people do, I'm going to start my diet mm -hmm. and I'm going to start it after. So like I remember when Orange Theory opened up in mm -hmm. uh, Georgetown, Texas, right. our old home. Mm -hmm. And they opened up in like, it was like August or September. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first people to sign up. Mm -hmm. And you would, we didn't so even I remember that. standing there in the blazing heat. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Under that yeah. little orange tent, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't even know, honestly, what the hell we were signing up for. I thought I was going to get some orange juice that day. We, didn't, we thought, well, orange tent, let's just check out what this is. Maybe yeah. it's some sort of juice bar or something. I'm telling you, we did not know what we were doing. I'm not making that up. Yeah. And then we said, then they said, it's a gym. It's called Orange Theory. And we're going like, okay, I'm still worse than my orange juice. Yeah. And then they walk us into the studio and we're starting to get it. Everything's orange. The lights are orange. Okay, yeah. Orange Theory. We still didn't know what Orange Theory yeah. was, but we signed up anyway. Yep. And, you know, Julie being Julie, she's wanting to ask questions and sort of research the physiological implications of whatever this orange zone splat is and all the rest points. of it. Splat points. But we're, uh, nope, let's sign up. Okay, we signed up. Now, normally, what we'd originally, first of all, we weren't looking for a gym. Sec well, though we did want to get in better shape. Uh, second of all, we, if had we not found a gym, we were still probably planning on doing something to increase our physical uh, fitness, but we weren't really going to start until probably the beginning of the following probably. year, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't overweight. We were going on walks. We were doing some physical stuff, but nothing like Orange Theory. But instead, we joined, I think it was the end of third quarter, into fourth quarter, and we started our new year, essentially what we would have you know, been procrastinating for three or four months in the third or fourth quarter of the previous year. And then when we rolled into the next year, mm -hmm. we had tons of momentum. And I'll never forget all the people who did join and mm -hmm. did start the new year. None of them basically were around by the time the uh, April or May. Yeah, hit. and the coaches actually tell you that. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we have a big influx right around January, and then everybody drops off within a month or so. Right. Yeah. So... Why do we bring this up? Well, the next question is, how will you do it? You've got to create a weekly plan that you can stick to. So, uh, and I threw in here as well, because I've had coaching clients do this, consider attaching the deadline to something significant like going to a wedding or a vacation. Sometimes you can you know, work your days out to that so that you have that extra level of motivation. If you know you're going to be on the beach in 90 days, you're more likely to work on that 15 pounds. I'm going to point this out because mm -hmm. it's worth doing. A lot of the things I see on social media depending on what you decide to pay attention to or not like an instagram in particular because yep. we use instagram we publish our podcast sure. and all the rest of it but i do think that, uh, some people what, what when they post a, a before picture of themselves that takes a lot of courage i agree and they say if they post a before picture of themselves like in down to their skivvies and I, this is i'm going to lose this amount of weight and that's on instagram now you can pull it down at any point but by posting that and sharing that 
that takes that is an incredible level of commitment and humility. Yes. And then the I love seeing the after pictures. Yeah, right? they're Just, awesome. Because when you have that's so that's external accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might pick up some, uh, you know, who knows what. But the reality of it is, is you're going to be motivating other people. People are going to say, see your picture, see your courage, be admiring what you're doing, the commitment that you're making. And then you're going to pick up a lot of other people that are on, along yeah. the same path. And that's something that nobody will ever tell you until you've experienced it. When you're on the right path, you're always going to come across fellow travelers who will help carry the psychological and sometimes physical burden. That's right. So next, add accountability. This, you know, you're alluding to that with your example. Go to Orange Theory three times a week and or hire a trainer. You can do CrossFit. You can do all kinds of different things. But add some accountability. Uh, and when I was typing that, I was thinking about when we walk our six miles around here and we see our friend Bella, who is walking mm-hmm. as human that we joke about, right? So there, there's all kinds of accountability. Maybe you're Julie, not somebody you, that's going to hit the treadmill. By saying that, you sound absolutely insane. I know, so, but I'm going to explain it. So okay. maybe you're not somebody that's going to pound he out He does the not treadmill. actually have a pet human, okay? No, but he shows up to this guy's house and they go on a walk together. Yep. Okay? He is a trainer. He knows how to do, God knows even how many, you know, exercises the, we tried the, his classes the guy's probably sick. about five six and he <laughs> is a tank he has a tank he's he's got he's got one of the uh, it's incredible he was wearing shorts once and i like his his legs were like the size of tree trunks it's amazing it's extraordinary he knows how to do all that kind of stuff but for this particular client what is working for him and he has the accountability of bella showing up to his place and i don't know how long they go on walks for but they're very consistent about it and they walk and talk Start with something like that if, if you're not somebody that's, you know, going to do the, the more serious stuff. But add the accountability. Now, the same technique can be applied to achieving your magic number of listings. What is that again? The, again, that's in the Harris Rules book. It's in the treasure map. But the magic number is the number of listings you must have in your own inventory at all times to meet or achieve your monthly goals. So let's say that you need three actives at all times to get at least two closings per month. Now, you're probably going to get more than that, but we want predictability here. But maybe you've got zero actives right now. Choose a short-term deadline by which you will have those three actives. If you're a new agent, this might take 90 days. But if you're an experienced agent, you might be able to do it in a week, but be specific. Well, this came out on our Facebook Live session today for our premier coaching clients, Sue Romans. Her goal, because she has, and she's a, a very experienced listing agent and broker. But right now she's temporarily listless. So her goal as somebody who's experienced is to potentially get those three actives by the end of the week. So real estate treasure map, which Julie mentioned, we'll give it to you. Um, It is for sale on Amazon, but we'll just give it to you. Text the word success to 47372. Text the word success to 47372. And when you do, not only are we going to give you a link to download the real estate treasure map, but you'll also be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So text the word success to 47372. This is the first thing that all of you should be doing. Um, I mean, just in any facet, wherever you are in your real estate success spectrum, you need to get your treasure map done. That is your fill in the blank business and life plan. It's uh, 72 pages, I think. So this is not something lightweight. Do with your spouse, your partner, do with your kids, include 
everyone in your family uh, to help you complete this. This is the path, the journey, the actual GPS coordinates for the next 12, 36 months, you know, however long you want to set it out for. So just text the word success to 47372. And that is going to be your fill in the blank business and life plan. We've completely done all the work for you. All you've got to do is download it and fill in the blanks. Text the word success to 47372. By the way, the output of the real estate treasure map on the business side is going to be you learning what your real estate magic number of listings is. And that's what Julie just talked about. Well, that's it. So just like you would hire a coach at Orange Theory to help you run better, you've got to get coaching and help and have an actual plan to reach your magic number because isn't that the next question? Okay, so I've identified that, I've done the treasure map, but how do I go about it? What am I supposed to actually do? That's why we have accountability through coaching, that's why we have the treasure map, and everybody's a little bit different. The plan that, say, Sue has is gonna be a totally different plan than what another person has. So you know this, and I don't think anyone will be surprised when I tell them this, we have more agents joining our coaching program in fourth quarter and uh, usually January of next year than any other four month uh, timeframe during Mm -hmm. the whole year. So this right now is the one most agents are joining coaching because most agents have had uh, their, you know, a lot of success or had a, had a lot of butt kicking or a little bit of both sure. during the past, you know, nine they're months or whatever. To be introspective and they're now. starting to be introspective and realizing that had they actually had the skill set to pre-qualify, had they actually had the skill set to go on a listing presentation, know what to say and how to say it, they would have earned a lot more money had and taken a lot more listings. That's the whole point of being in the coaching program, guys. You can't shortchange your skill set because your skill set that you get from our coaching program, that is your business system. That is what you, you might, you look, you're going to go and be seduced into buying leads or working on your brand. What are you going to do when you get the business? You think you're just going to get it? You think they're just going to list with you or buy with you? No, you have to know what to say and how to say it. It's called having the right to earn the business. So when you lose, opposed to looking for some external reason why you didn't get the listing, be, be, be introspective for God's sake. Be honest with yourself. You didn't take the listing because you didn't earn the right to, to work with that particular buyer or seller because you didn't have the skill set. They chose someone else over you. Not because the other agent gave them a higher price on the listing side or told them they cut the commission on the listing side or whatever. It's because they found the other agent had a more compelling value proposition than you. They won't say it like that, you know, your your clients that you lost, but that's the reality. And sometimes it takes you losing one, two, three, ten times before you finally come to the realization that maybe with a little bit more of a skill set and a little bit more of a honed-in professional approach, you'd win a lot more than you are now. Well, then the really smart of you are going to learn, you know, there's an old saying, right? A smart man or woman learns from, uh, you know, what mistakes of others. Right. Well, you know, you can learn from the mistakes of others. You can learn from your, you know, you learn from your mistakes or you can learn from the mistakes of others. And the mistakes of others are going to be all the agents who fail out of the business within typically 24 months. Those are the agents that waited too long to actually get the skill set. And what are you guys waiting for? So text the word success to 47372. Well, what's interesting is Everything you said is especially true for newer agents who don't know what they don't know, but it's also for the more experienced agents like the Zoom call that we just got off of, that sometimes they can have a lot of success and they start to rely on that success. And then maybe they're just, they stop doing like the fifth step of the seven step listing process. A smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes mistakes of of others. others. There you go. I would have gotten it eventually. That's right. So, you know, even the more grizzled veterans, sometimes you guys don't see we had an example today of a very experienced agent that thought it was one thing, but when in fact we kind of ground it out, it was a different reason for why the listing wasn't taken. Are we talking about Steve? Perhaps. 
perhaps. Yes, Steve. So, Steve, if you're listening. We don't have to torture him further. We won't torture you, Steve Myers. (laughs) But the point is that even our more grizzled veterans can benefit from an interested third party that can drill down and find out what's going on with you. Okay, so point number five is a very interesting, I would say it's a more advanced point number four. When you're better at goal setting and achieving, you'll know that if if you're thinking too small, if you can reverse engineer how to accomplish a goal, what does it mean to reverse engineer something? Well, you know, I, actually, I thought a lot about that. And I'll, let me give them two thoughts. I'm going to go sure. a little bit on a flight of fancy. I think if you're setting a goal that you can easily reverse engineer, you're very, by definition, not setting a big enough goal. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this on Friday. Mm-hmm. But and I've been thinking a lot about that for Julie and I in our business. So I'm going to say that again. If you can think of a goal and then within you know, a little bit of work, you can figure out how to accomplish the goal, that's not a big enough goal. Mm-hmm. That's just the next sort of step that you would have been on anyway. So if, you're, if you really want to learn how to think big, think of a goal that's so big that you have no clue how you go about accomplishing it. Now figure out how to do it. That's kind of badass. Yes, because you're using your current knowledge and experience versus forcing yourself to learn and think bigger, right? So if you can reverse engineer, you're just setting incremental goals versus really big ones. Remember the title of this podcast series is how to think bigger in a world that wants to keep you small. So what would be a radical goal that you don't actually know how to accomplish? Well, maybe your magic number is number is three listings, but you actually know how to do that. In fact, you know how to do that really well. You just haven't been doing it. Well, the, so the question would be like, what's the maximum number of listings you've ever had at one time, Bob? And Bob will say three. And then your coach, you know, it will say, well, then you definitely know how to take three listings. Oh, yeah, I could do that. No problem. So, OK, you could have three listings at all times. How about 10? How would you take 10 listings at 10 listings all the time? Well, we're <laughs> yeah. really, we're really sinking today. Well, so what would you have to do? What would you have to stop doing, right? And I gave another example. Instead of wanting a 15-foot ski boat that you could probably buy used on Craigslist this afternoon. And put on a credit card. Right. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe you figure out how to buy a 100-foot yacht. Well, maybe you don't know anything about that. You'll have to expand your exposure, which will in turn make you think bigger. And even the people that you'll have to talk to about it will expand your thoughts. Like, who do you know that has a 100-foot yacht? What's that like? So I'll tell you about a funny conversation I had. Uh, I did tell you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, No, I didn't tell you about oh, this. Tell me. I, so I'm on the phone with somebody. I'm not going to mention his name. Okay. And this person um, is one of the largest uh, EXP guys, and he earns, um, I mean, I'll just say it. You guys won't believe it, but he's probably going to earn next year between 15 and $20 million. Mm-hmm. And that's all from revenue share, from EXP Realty. Yes. And so I asked him, what are his goals for next year? And he rattled off, well, I want to do this and the other thing. And I go, was there anything else? And he goes, well, I've really been thinking about buying a private plane. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, his own plane. And then he goes, you know, but I've been thinking, so how would you go about accomplishing that? And he didn't know. Oh, now that's a good goal. Yeah, that's thinking big. Because right? he didn't know how, he, it, not, it was not going to be a small private plane. It's going to be a private plane that's probably going to cost 10 or 15 million dollars maybe even more he had no cl- he never like, how do you even go about that he right? hadn't even julie he's never been on a private plane yeah he's never chartered on a private plane but how exciting is that totally he didn't know how much they cost he didn't know how much sure. they made. now julie and i have friends with private planes and i'm here to tell you and i didn't tell him this because i didn't want to you know i didn't want to crap on his goal basically <laughs> but owning a private plane is insane the amount of money you have to spend everyone 
we have probably about 10 friends with private plans here in Dorado. And I think every single one of them, after uh, they uh, tell you they have a private plane, the next words out of their mouths are, don't buy a plane. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> you know, we had a similar conversation with somebody that knows about luxury yachts. Were they yep. called, like, super yachts or something? Like, I don't even know that that was a thing. I, you, you know, when we talk like yeah. this, people feel disconnected to us. But, guys, you got to remember that Julie and I are just poor kids from Columbus, Ohio. That's why we're enamored by it, because we don't know about that stuff. Yeah, well, okay, so we'll tell the story about the yachts. Sure. So we had uh, three gentlemen visit us who were um, thinking about joining EXP Realty, but also own in Miami, and we're going to start one here in uh, Puerto Rico, a essentially a business that caters to people who have super yachts, which are over 100 feet, and their average customer's yacht is over 200 feet. And what they do is they retrofit the yachts. So listeners, this is crazy. So evidently, if you charter your yacht, you have to essentially keep a log for how many hours are on the yacht, on the motors and all the rest of it, because I guess they don't, It's, you an, know. it's an insurance thing, I think. Well, but it's an insurance thing, yeah. but it's also, they don't want people uh, chartering private boats and their boats out in the middle of the Caribbean or the Mediterranean and, you know, it sinks. I mean, yeah. that would be bad, That's right? Bad. Yeah. So they make it, so these people that charter their yachts and most people, these big, big mega yachts do charter their yachts. So they rent them out. They're like VRBOing their yachts. Well, when they told us how many, how much money it costs to retrofit a yacht, I was blown away. Here's what the answer was. Mm -hmm. They have to, basically just to keep a boat, and this is just maintenance on these big boats. I don't even know, call it a boat. That sounds hilarious. These floating point, houses, right? You have It averages out to be 1% of the boat's value per month. Per month. Per month. I know. But you know. That's not include. That's yeah. not including paying the captain or buying the, crew, the diesel fuel the or the crew or where you're going to park it. I mean, you don't park a boat, do you? Thank you, Mike. Moor it. You moor it. See, this is the point of thinking bigger is you've <laughs> got to learn some stuff, right? I'll tell you what's interesting to me was that they, you know, they're in the real estate world too. And so that, that this is a thing to find land to develop to be able to service super yachts. Yeah. Like that's that's not in my normal residential wheelhouse necessarily. Well, let's right? finish the story. I, I mean, Since I thought it was really fascinating. They had just won a lease, a long-term lease on what was a um, dock. Was a military thing. Right? Yeah, an old Navy yeah. shipyard. Mm -hmm. And so they won it here in Puerto Rico, and that's where they're going to be building all of this. That's all the information we can really talk about. But the moral of the story is, this is a conversation that Julie and I were having that was supposed to be about them joining EXP, and they wanted to join our group. And we ended up, like, I couldn't stop asking questions. That was about, fascinating. Because it was fascinating. And here was my big takeaway. Uh -huh. I am never getting a damn boat ever. No, but now you know, right? <laughs> it's better to have friends with yachts, right? Oh, totally. We I need mean, we need more friends with yachts and boats. Again, yes. we're not rich weirdos. <laughs> we, yeah. Well, we might be now, but we didn't start out that way. We, Julie and I, if you're listening to us, trust me when I tell you, we've been married for 30 years as of the 15th of this month. Mm -hmm. And when Julie and I got started, uh, we were, you know, less than poor, less than poor. Really? We got married and we were 50 <laughs> grand in debt from student loans. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think it was the first or second time we moved. No, it was, it was longer because it was it was long enough ago that I thought, isn't that interesting? My original grocery budget I had written down you on found a legal it. pad. And I found it in some box I was moving. We spent, when we were first married, the budget was $13 a week. Yeah. And so that would get you a couple cans of Campbell's soup, then, then like a 10-pack of ramen noodles for a dollar, and maybe some fruit. I'm sure we didn't have the best diet back then because we had a $13 a week budget. So yeah, if you guys are wondering, that's where we came from. And when we got into real estate, we were sharing a car, the Mazda yeah. Millennia, if yeah. you remember that. Um, 
and I he, we were we had detailing cars, and I was a, working at a Christmas village. I mean, we've been around the block. Well, it's important you guys understand that we're just like you. And I was telling him actually last week on the podcast, I think on Friday, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, about Hamburger Helper because mm-hmm. I was commenting on the fact that groceries are getting so expensive and it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And uh, the food inflation, now that it's entered into people's lives, you're going to really start feeling, I don't mean just for all of you, but you're going to start seeing and feeling the true effects of inflation on everyone. So inflation and house values, you guys are benefiting from, yeah. uh, but now you're seeing rising costs for everything. And this is really important you understand this. This, on the other side of this is not a bubble that's going to burst. I see, I hear people saying that all the time. No, this is what happens from inflation. What happens during an inflationary time, even the government's saying this now, prices inflate to whatever the new normal is. So you're seeing that in real estate. You're seeing that in cars. You're seeing that in consumer items. You're seeing that now in food. And it they is go scary. up and they stay up. Well, yeah, they go up and they stay up until some, maybe something changes. Like maybe, for example, the demand um, decreases and then the prices might uh, come down or mm-hmm. more producers of whatever the product is enter. And it might. It, but what we're talking about here is pure inflation. And so seeing all this happen, I, I remember back when uh, you know I was growing up, we didn't have um, money to buy red meat. We didn't mm-hmm. have any meat. Like having meat in our house when we were growing up was something mm-hmm. really rare, like not even hamburger. Yeah. And so, but what we did have was Hamburger Helper. Mm-hmm. And what Hamburger Helper was is in Spam. You yes. Know? In, between the spam two, in between the two, I take Spam over Hamburger Helper. Right, Spam was okay. But you take a little tiny bit of hamburger, you'd add it to Hamburger Helper, and then you basically would all of a sudden have something that resembled hamburger sort of kind of, maybe sort of not. Kind of, yeah. Right. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because Hamburger Helper sales are starting to increase, and they're coming out with more well, food additives, consumer f- food additives, so you can essentially create more uh, like and the other thing that was fascinating, and you should everyone should Google this. National average cost of peanut butter, and peanut butter is one of the staple food staples everyone pays attention to. There's a lot of like if you think about what goes into a jar of uh, peanut butter, there's a lot of third. You know, you got the ma- guy making the peanuts, you got the guy making the jar, the guy printing the label, the guy, the machine, the the facility, the whole thing, right? There's a lot of things that are associated with making peanut butter. But look at the cost of peanut butter; it's going up by in some markets more than a hundred percent. And that's extraordinary. And are people talking about that? Well, they're going to talk, be talking about that. Again, I'm only trying to help you guys understand that the journey that Julie and I have been on and the path that we've been on for all these years, for decades now, and our coaching company and the things that we show, share with you guys, the reason that we ultimately know what we're saying to you is state-of-the-art military-grade truth is because this is how we've lived for 30 years. Mm-hmm. This is what we've done for 30 years. And this is what happens. And, you know, it's repetitious boredom, right? If you want to know what, um, if you want to accomplish long-term success, it is doing the same thing over and over again. Or as I say, and Julie and I say in our book and whatnot, it's doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And it takes a lot of that over long periods of time. But what really is the genesis of all that is really goal setting. Because when you have, like Julie and I, here's what I did, uh, listeners, totally off script. But yesterday, mm-hmm. Julie had sick with some form of plague, Thank which, you, I'm, Zoe. <laughs> which I'm pretty sure you're giving to me. Yeah. So anyway, I wrote, I, I took, a, I printed off of calendars between now and 2024, mm-hmm. and Julie and I have uh, big financial goals, things that we have to, that we've already committed to financially for the next four years, and some of them are like 
you know, X will be done in, you know, three years, but X will require four milestone payments leading up to whatever X is. Yeah. And I wrote all those things out for the next four years. And those are, uh, you know, that's the financial roadmap we have. And then I worked it backwards. Okay, these are the big, you know, th these are the extraordinary or extraordinary expenses that we have. This is our personal overhead. This is how much, and I did oh, this you're whole, doing the goal setting. Yeah, I did the goal setting for her yeah. yesterday for the, through 2024. Mm -hmm. And afterwards when I did that, I mm -hmm. felt incredible. Yeah, absolutely, because there's the plan. Yeah. Okay, and it's less, I mean, we have a lot of things we've committed to, but yeah. it's less, uh, I don't know, maybe intimidating to know, like, okay, here's how it plays out. Here's what you want to do. Here's what you have to do. Here's the schedule of when you're going to do it. Right. So a goal is a dream with an action plan. They have to be specific, measurable, attainable, uh, realistic, and timely. And so you did the timely part. And reviewed and regularly. Written and yeah. reviewed, right? So I like what you did with the... Uh, Th printing out three years worth of 12-month calendars. Yep. And that's something everybody should be doing. And you can post that. That's part of your visual accountability. Well, it's just something so, basic. Like we're going basic. on our 31st wedding anniversary, which is next September. We're going on a cruise to, uh, what is it? It's Where are we going? Italy. Monaco. No, and no it's uh, Southern Mediterranean. Med is Mediterranean. Like we, don't even, we don't even know where the hell we're going. Okay, but I mean that's somewhere out there. It that's not yeah. free, so that's kind of a chunk of change, and yep. uh, so that's on the goal for next September. And so, by here's what I told Julie after I got done doing it. Before she looked at what I'd created, she looked at I. She said, "Well, what'd you think?" I said, "I think we're setting our goals too low because mm -hmm. I was able because to because now you know because now I know, and I was able to write it out how much money we were projected to earn, how much money you know we have from just Julie and I have income spokes. This is what we prescribed to all of you guys. Um, and then I saw what our, you know, essentially our expenses were going to be for the, through 2024. And I really do think, honestly, we're are setting our goals well, you know too why? low. Because of this last point we presented, you can reverse engineer how we're going to do it. We know how we're going to do it. So what you're telling me is I want to figure out a way to call Sir Richard Branson and we need to figure out how <laughs> to be. Borrow his island for no, a while? No, but we need to figure out, oh, yeah, <laughs> we, had, we need to figure out how to be his first paying customers when he is able to go into space, what yeah, do you think? Something like that. I'm not getting. You, a, you can go first. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not getting a very. <laughs> I, I'm not. Bad. I'm not confident you're yeah. into that one. Yeah. No, we'll we'll figure something out. Well, but the, but, the point is the same though. Is that we pretty much know how to do it, and maybe we need to think bigger. It's something that you know we have to burn some new brain cells to figure out. Well, we if we don't know how to do something, mm -hmm. we know somebody who will tell us how to yes. do it. And that, and that goes back to the point you made about Orange Theory, right? Mm -hmm. When you're on a journey, when you're on a path, when you're on that path, you're going to come across other people that are on that path that will be the befriend you along the journey. Not all of them will but, make but it. they'll make your journey shorter, too. They'll make, because right. you don't have to bang your head into the wall trying to figure stuff out. Like before, just to go back to Orange Theory, it's because you're wearing an orange shirt. But mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we thought that we pretty much knew how to work out. Nope. But no, these people are trained in how to work out. There's a big difference. Yeah, well, when we were at Orange Theory, mm -hmm. um, you and I, you never wanted to run by me. Nope. Because you didn't like me coaching you when you're running because nope. I run, I was running faster than yeah. you. Eventually you caught up. It took mm -hmm. you like a thousand years, but you did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what I would do is I would go and find the fastest guy in the gym that was uh, essentially, I had no right ever to be running next to. Like somebody who's 10 or 15 years younger and, and maybe was a Marine in a past life. Totally. And so there was a guy that used to basically play in a professional football and he is an actual, he basically can run like a, like a, almost a four minute mile. And that's the guy I ran next to. And then I basically befriended him. I started making him laugh and stuff. And then he started telling me little things I should be doing yes. that I'm not doing, little things I wasn't even aware of I was doing. And there's this other guy that I'd run up against 
that was, he never told me until I figured it out. Mm -hmm. He was a cop, but he had been in the military. He was in special forces, mm -hmm. you know, and I, so I started running next to him. Well, but that's the thing. Don't you think probably he learned some things when he was in special forces? Well, yes, right? of course. But I found those guys on the journey. And you did it on purpose. And I did it on purpose. And had I not actually sought those guys out to run next to them, yeah. even though I never was even able to come close to them. They obliterated. Yeah, but you still learned techniques that improved what your, your run times were. Totally. Completely. And you had more fun doing it because oh, yeah. you guys would harass each other, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember watching uh, one of the coaches, Andy, you remember her? Yeah. And, you know, same thing. She's like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years younger than me. But it was the first time I'd ever seen hey, somebody. Julie, what? About everyone's 15 or 20 yeah, years younger than you. <laughs> but here, here's what struck me. I had never seen anybody run at an 11 incline, 11 miles an hour, and not die. You know, she's like 25 years older. I know, than you. but still, like, yeah. I'd never seen somebody do that for 10 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, she had. There were people in there, if you guys know treadmills, like pretty much the guy, the, Andy, and there was probably three or four other people, including the two guys I'd run up against, yeah, who, who turned the damn thing up to 11, which is basically like Spider Man it's a running, hill climb. It's, it's running yeah. up a wall. And, yeah. and then crank the thing up to 12. Now, they couldn't do it for like a mile, but they could do that for like, I couldn't. Consistently. Consistently. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. Like, I, I don't think. Even now, because, you know, I try to hit the treadmill two or three times a week. Even mm -hmm. now, it's hard for me to even stay on it at an 11 incline, much less run. But we're talking about getting different and better exposure, right? And so that was something I didn't, I didn't know that you could do that. So I wouldn't have had the thought, I wonder if I could do that, right? You have to be exposed to that. But to now, think you know, bigger. when we have a new coaching client that comes into the fold, right? Um, one of the things that their coach is going to ask them is look for past things in their past where they've been successful. Yes. And if you, uh, the reason is, is because if someone's been successful in their past, they've got that, they've got that software and all oh, yeah. you've got to do is re-trigger it, remind them. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, so you, that's what you look for. Look for it in yourself, right? Look for it in people you hire or associate with. Look for people, if they're not, if they're not being um, high performers now, look to see if they ever have been. Oh, yeah. And then they're in trouble because now it's so, they're actually a lot easier to coach because it's a shorter path. You just have to make. You know, you have to remind them the disciplines and the practice that made them successful at that. And if you same. and if you haven't been successful, to Julie and I's example with regards to going to Orange Theory, or to Julie and I's example about building wealth, for example, the stories we were trying to tell you. Hopefully, you guys took those in the right light yes. that was intended, right? But what we did is we had absolutely no background in doing any kind of physical stuff at that level, zero. So we sought people out. Right. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have that. And now, if I'd been a, a, you know, a football star, that's hilarious. And I really knew how to work out. And I was in college and it's like some of these guys I'd work out with. They knew what they were doing and how to do it. They yeah. and let's say they got fat. They knew they could get back there because they did it before. They knew exactly how to do it. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, they knew they could do it because they have done it before. Even if they were older and not in great shape, they can get back there. I didn't have any of that um uh, that, that software, right? Yeah. I didn't have that. So I would hang out with those guys and get it from them. That comes back down to exposure. So if you're trying to improve yourself, your skill set, your financial situation, if you're trying to improve your lifestyle, if you're trying to improve of all that stuff, you're most likely going to have to seek out people that have done it at a higher level. If you haven't actually done it, which chances are you haven't when it, when it comes to finances. Yes, exactly. All right. So we're going to round the bend. We're going to pick up tomorrow where we are leaving off today. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this series. Julie and I uh, are. Hopefully we're not enjoying it too much though. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. Oh, and as always, 
If you're interested in joining eXp Realty, which many of you are, Julie and I would love the opportunity to sponsor you at eXp Realty. If you're ready to join eXp and you're looking for a sponsor, um, we are formally applying for the job. Text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.